0: Welcome to a special edition episode of They Live By Film. My name is Adam Lundy. Just doing a quick introduction to this special edition episode in which we sat down with Vinegar Syndrome archivist Justin LaLiberty. Chris and Zach did a really great interview with Justin. Uh, So good, we didn't really feel like we wanted to cut it down to fit it into a normal episode. So uh, we're going to present it to you here in its entirety. So I'm just going to hop right into the interview. Cheers.
1: All right. So, yeah, joined here today by Justin LaLiberty. Uh, uh, from Vinegar Syndrome. He's an archivist, and if I got this right, also pretty involved in the partner labels. Justin, is that right?
0: Yes, that's correct.
1: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining. Are you in the generally kind of New York, Connecticut, New Jersey area? Is that where you find home?
0: Home? Yeah, I live in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, so just a bit south from uh, Bridgeport, which is where our Vinegar Syndrome headquarters are.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thanks for joining. And we're recording on a, a Sunday morning of the giant Memorial Day uh, halfway to Black Friday sale. So I don't know how involved you are in the in the ongoing maintenance of that site and everything during the sale, but I appreciate you making time.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very hectic time for us. Luckily, the website is not part of my job, <laughs> but um, okay. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very involved in the social media stuff and just kind of helping answer questions that come in as much as I can. And, you know, especially anything related to partner labels. And so yeah, have, well. you, yeah.
1: have you seen the video that, um, you know, Grindhouse video down in Tampa, they do a lot of aero video stuff that comes into the U S. Have you seen the video that that guy Mike posts about how crazy his shop is uh, after the the sales?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> is that So, so what happens after this, the sale closes on Monday? Um, Is it just kind of all hands on deck or do y'all have like distribution partners or what's the next like two weeks going to be for y'all?
0: We do everything in house. So it's, you know, we have a great team of staff who are, you know, a bunch of full-timers and then some people we bring in part-time and we have shipping going out of here in Connecticut, out of Colorado, and then we have Toronto shipping. So it's, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty all hands on deck type of situation. Even if people aren't packing boxes, they're probably doing something that's assisting with the, the sale, kind of a, the fallout, I guess you could say.
1: That's awesome. Well, I'm, I'm very appreciative of it. I think I, I, think I told you before, I'm, I'm trying the subscription last uh, Black Friday, I tried it for the first time. Um, I think that's such a brilliant commercial model. Uh, it just, what a creative way to get people kind of engaged and loyal uh, to the brand. Um, I think it's just fascinating. And the movies that are coming out are, you know, ones that I may not have bought otherwise, but I'm watching now because I'm part of the subscription. Uh and so it's been a really great way to, to kind of discover new films. Uh, uh I, I always when I talk about vinegar syndrome, I always say it's, you know, they're getting the, the criterion or the arrow treatment, uh, but more from the lens of like the VHS era, movies that may have sometimes not even had a DVD release. Um, and maybe even the way that you structure your menus around like talking about reels instead of chapters it's really heavily focused on preservation and like a reminder that these are all things that were recorded on, you know, on physical <laughs> kind of reels uh, that are being digitized. Is that, how close am I there in my, in my synopsis?
0: I mean, that's, that's definitely true. Like we're all extremely passionate about film and it's pretty rare for a film distribution company, let alone one devoted to home video to have a functioning archive (laughs) and to have someone maintaining that archive so I think that in itself separates vinegar syndrome from pretty much anybody else really doing what we do so yeah I mean it's definitely a call to film that's uh, the vinegar syndrome name is of course regarding something that happens to film as it as it decays so which is you know what we're trying to stop from happening of course and That's the the structure and the mission of the company is to kind of save film and save these films that would otherwise be lost.
1: That's great. Do do you mind giving a little bit of a background as to what an archivist does um, to the level of detail you can go into? I think it's super interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, archivists, you know, especially like moving image archivists all kind of do different things depending on what their skill set or job or, you know, workflow. Is but I think the primary principles there is, is that you're trying to conserve, and you know stop any kind of, of long-term uh, decomposition from individual elements. So if you have a film that was shot on 35 millimeter or 16 millimeter, 70 millimeter, you know whatever kind of that material that was that went through the camera, you want to try and get whatever the closest to the original is, and put that in a room that's cold, dry, and you know that you're taking care of any damage that results. So if you get in a a negative and it's got, you know, the perforations on the film that help it run through the the projector, if those are torn, you want to repair those. If something's, you know, ripped, you want to put some tape or cement on that and put it in good order so it can run through a scanner. So with us, you know, it's all this film isn't just sitting in a room. You know, I mean, of course it does sit in a room <laughs> like we do. You know, we have thousands of reels and they're climate controlled and they're being kept you know, safely and, and uh, well-maintained, but at the same time, we are accessing these materials for the purposes of scanning. So where some archives, a lot of things are just kind of there for preservation, ours are there for preservation, but also for access. So we need to take these and we need to scan them and somebody in my position in that capacity will inspect those reels, make sure that they're you know, structurally sound so that they can go through these machines and also determine, you know, if we have different materials, what those materials are. So if we have a negative and an interpositive and a print, are they all the same runtime? You know, is there a differing version? Did one version come from Europe, one's from America? Is the, you know, the footage not aligned perfectly? Like, is one more uncut than the other? Um, you know, you might have something with like a different soundtrack. So there's things are different depending on the film. So. The job of an archivist can change you know, uh, exponentially depending on what film you're working on at a given time. But I think the, the guiding principle is just to save and keep available whatever the most original version is.
1: Well, fuck, that just literally sounds like the only job I ever want to do. That sounds incredible.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs>
1: um, you, how, I, I don't know, again, tell me if you're, if you know, to the extent you can talk about this, how many films does Vinegar Syndrome have in their archive?
0: Um, I can't really give like a, a okay. number, but I will say it's a lot. <laughs> <You> know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's, I've been in many archives um, and it's one of the larger ones I've seen.
1: The other big one down here, I think it's, I don't know where the actual room is where these are kept, but there's another big one from AGFA, right? They're also big. Oh, yeah. in the um, I, I live in Austin, Texas, and I, I know that there's a bunch of folks down here that are interested in a similar type of, uh, uh, you know, preservation and archiving it.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, we work closely with Agfa and I've been in the Agfa archives and yeah, I mean, it's, they're great people. They're very similar mission, very, uh, similar mission, both in terms of like what they're trying to do with the content, but also the content itself.
1: Yeah. That's great. Uh, yeah. I was really excited when they were had a partner label, uh, announced, I think maybe that's the other question just by way of introduction, kind of getting to know you a little bit. So what, what's your engagement with the partner labels? If you don't mind, just kind of, because you know, there's, uh, I just got a copy of, um, I forget the name of the movie, but the name of the band is Impaled Rectum.
0: Oh, Heavy Trip.
1: Heavy Trip. There you go. And I can't, I'm going to watch it here in the next few days. It just, I, I love the diversity all the way from like Fun City Editions um, to, to that label. Um, the, the film production or the production company is called Doppelganger, but I know that's not the name of the- It's the
0: Music dis- Box. Yeah, Music there we box. go. Yeah.
1: yeah, Music Box to Utopia, like quite a wide range of films that may not necessarily make it into mainstream vinegar. Syndrome uh, uh, releases, but I it's just a it's I love scouring through your partner labels kind of site and seeing what's coming out there. Um, so yeah, like do you mind any any kind of background on that and sort of how you all view that? I'd love to hear about it.
0: So the partner labels is very new. Um, that started like over a year ago. Um, just kind of you know with Agfa was the first one to come on, and then we had Utopia came on, which has been great. Um, all the partner labels are companies we really admire. So. I think one of the things that gets confusing is a lot of you know the vinegar syndrome fans think the the partner labels are like secret vinegar syndrome (laughs) things and they're not you know it's these are very much companies that all exist on their own um they have their own staff they pick their own movies you know they're they're doing things all on their own uh, for the most part outside of the distribution process which is where we come in as a, a distributor and that distribution company is ocn distribution so these are not, you know, put out by Vinegar Syndrome. They are sold on the Vinegar Syndrome site, and we hope that Vinegar Syndrome fans appreciate them and purchase them and share them, but they are not Vinegar Syndrome uh, releases, which is kind of the, the the, confusion, I think, online. But yeah, as far as my involvement, um, I came, in addition to film archiving, I have a, a film programming background. And so I, you know, kind of knew a lot of people from different companies through that. and just sort of different distribution related things. And I kind of fell into working on a lot of these and just kind of working in the the workflow of it, the logistics of it, the planning of it. And that's something that you really need. You kind of need something bringing this all together and and pushing it out. And yeah, it's been great. I really like working with all of the labels. Um, it's a great group of people. And I think the content, you know, the films that they're putting out are really unique. And I think they fit in well with what we're doing. Even if you know you have like a documentary from Utopia or you know, something from Music Box, whatever you have that might not seem like it fits alongside like a vinegar syndrome horror film, the ethos is still there. You know, the, the idea that we're all trying to bring out films that are marginalized or would otherwise potentially languish. You know, a lot of these films, if we weren't helping with the distribution they might not get out, you know, you kind of need, you need somebody around to kind of pick that up and say, hey, we see what you're doing, we support it, we want to help you, we have a network, we have a distribution pipeline and we can get you into that so that we can champion your content. And that's really important. And I think we're in a great position to kind of do that and to not only shine a light on these companies that we admire, but to get these films an audience. And yeah, I'm really happy with the partner labels and I think from the response, it seems like the the vinegar syndrome fans are too.
1: Yeah, I, Zach, I know you have a million questions. Just one thing that came up when we so we asked. Uh, there's a subreddit called Boutique Blu-ray, um, and we just told them that there's this interview coming up. What kind of questions they had? And one of the ones that came up, but you know, I'm curious how. And I'm sure there's not like a traditional kind of easy path, but like for somebody who's maybe you know 17, 18, 20 on Reddit or or. 39 like me <laughs> and just loves the what you do like how do you transition into a career in either film archiving or film programming or like like how do you kind of get into this world a little bit because it just sounds like a, a dream for for people that really love cinema
0: I mean it is a dream like this is you know what I wanted to do maybe not this specific thing but working you know in this industry in in general, in any capacities, like what I wanted to do since I was a child. So I started as a teenager, like working in movie theaters and video stores. I went to film school. Uh, I went to grad school for film preservation, which is kind of how I became an archivist. Mm -hmm. And then just like, you know, worked as a projectionist, film festivals, movie theaters. I just stayed in it. So I've been working in like exhibition or something tangential to it since I was 15, 16. So, you know, 20 years. So it's, it's been a long time. Um, But as far as programming, you know, that's something I just kind of, I had been, I guess, programming sort of on the side for a while. And then I got picked up to do programming full time. And it's just one of those things. There's a lot of happenstance, you know, there might be some luck in it, some of it's networking, but I think a lot of it is just passion. You know, I think if if you want to do it and you can devote the time to doing it, then you can kind of make it happen. So I think it's a, it's a great industry and it's a really welcoming industry. So as long as you have, you know, the, the fortitude to kind of stick some of it out, I think it's, it's great. You know, it's some of it can be difficult, but I think that's with any industry, you know, if you want to get into something like you have to be willing to take that minimum wage job and kind of work Mm -hmm. your way up somehow and, spend time networking and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think industries sort of operate similarly and this industry is not that dissimilar to other ones. You just have to work at it. Yeah,
2: thank you. Um, um, you were talking about um, the climate controlled uh, for the films and everything, keeping like the reels and archiving. I know from my understanding years ago, this used to be things like you throw film reels and like a salt mine. And I'm guessing it's a lot different than that now. Uh, I'm sure you probably can't go into too many specifics on that. I'm just kind of curious how it's evolved since that type of day. And I'm sure there's still people that do that. they will use salt mines and things like that. But is it a, a lot different now?
0: I mean you could do that. That's yeah. not, you know, a terrible thing to do. It's better than storing it in your humid attic. You know, there's I think there's a lot of people like, you know, kind of I don't want to say like amateur archivists, but I think people who want to archive kind of at home, like maybe film collectors or people who have a extensive home movie library, something like that. They're more likely to kind of take their film and say I'm going to put it in my attic or put it in my garage or something and it's like don't do that. <laughs> like definitely don't do that especially any room that can potentially get humid so even like basements which is honestly probably the best place to put your film would be your basement over your attic of course but even then it's like you need to dehumidify that room you need to make sure it's cool you definitely don't want dampness is almost worse than heat Mm -hmm. so you really don't want to have like you could have a basement that's 65 degrees which is still a little bit warmer than you want it to be. But if you had a basement that's 65 degrees and your humidity was like 50%, that would not be good. <laughs> you, don't want, you, know, you don't want your film to be like around moisture at all. That's a big enemy of film. So um, as far as how it's evolved, I think it's you know, technology is a huge part. So you have you know, films still pretty young. You're looking at films only like 130 some odd years old, somewhere around there. So in film preservation is even younger than that. So people have only really been trying to preserve film um, in terms of like moving image stock for like a little over a century or so. And then beyond that, like your digital preservation is incredibly young. So with film, especially, I mean, you're scanning these films and then once you scan it, I mean, you still have the film that you're preserving, but now you also have to preserve that scan. (laughs) and preserving files as anybody knows i mean even if you have a hard drive full of mp3s you know what can happen to those and it's mm-hmm. you know very easy to lose them or for the quality to diminish or you know obsolescence is a thing so all of a sudden you have these terabytes and terabytes of data and now you don't have a machine that can read them so as far as the you know the technology and film preservation it's evolving and it has evolved and you just kind of have to stay on top of it. But of course, doing that comes with great expense and a lot of archives are nonprofits. So there's a lot of grants that need to be given. And then the for-profit archives, there's not a ton of money in film preservation. So even if you're a for-profit archive, the costs of you know climate controlling a large room in itself is daunting and outfitting a room for like appropriate shelving or buying you know cans you don't want to store your film in like a rusty can or a dusty cardboard box you want to put it they have these nice like archival plastic cans for each reel of film that are vented and that's what you want to put your film in and those are like a couple of bucks a piece. so you end up with you know a few thousand reels of film and all of a sudden you're spending tens of thousands of dollars on just materials alone to store mm. it and that's without your electric bill for air conditioning and your dehumidifiers and the the rent you need for a space that large. So, I mean, film preservation is, it's difficult and it's expensive and maybe putting things in a salt mine is cheaper. (laughs) So people probably (laughs) like to do things that, you know, are maybe easier and more organic, I guess.
1: One of the favorite stories I heard was through one of your partner labels, I think it was ACFA actually, They, they found a copy of Bat Pussy just like randomly in a video store and and now it has a digital copy that's that's out there i think it's currently out of print but anyways i'm sure it'll come back in print at some point in some fashion but like it this thing this movie that you know through traditional distribution channels would have really never seen the light of day it's so obscure and and even when you watch the movie it's one of my favorite comedies ever by the way but like even when you watch the movie it's so quirky and kind of offbeat for it to find a home and then get a digital transfer and be restored forever i think it's It's so beautiful. I'm so happy it happened, and that's, anyways, that's one of my favorite kind of like um, films being stored poorly, but luckily being found before they uh, broke apart. Kind of stories.
0: I mean, there's a ton of those. You know, it's every like every year or so, you kind of hear a story of like, oh, the negative for this film or the uncut version of this film is like found in a barn or like a gas station, or you just never know where it's going to turn up. And I mean, that's even true for us. Like, we'll look for elements and an unlikely place is where you'll find it. And, which is great, but also like makes you pause and think like, where are these things that we've been looking for for a hundred years or 50 years or, you know, what condition are they being kept in? And I think that's, that's what, you know makes what we do so important. And for any archive is that not only do we know where those things are, but we know that they're being kept well, whereas if some producer has them or a bank or like a school or you know whoever if they don't have the skills that they know how to take care of it they could just be deteriorating and rapidly depending on what it is and from when
2: i know um i can't remember the story exactly but i know was screen factor where they put their friday 13 set out they had i think it was near like right before they released it they found like a vhs tape with some of the uncut stuff and they were able to finally include it and obviously i guess you probably don't want to necessarily rely on finding old vhs tapes because i'm guessing the quality wouldn't be quite the same as on the film reel but it's always cool to see things like that come up where you know some random person just has it laying around somewhere
0: yeah i mean we've done that too you know sometimes if there's no film and you know you want to put out the most complete version if those scenes that you need are on vhs or beta or you know, whatever, digital video, source it from a DVD if you have to. If that's the way you get your most complete version out, that's what you do. I mean, you're not, you know, we're archivists and we want the best quality material, but if that's all that's left, we're not going to say no. Right. That's what you do. You just try and make do with what you have. And people are usually excited to see the rare footage a lot more so than they would be if they just got the version without it. So... I think it works out well enough. And then, you know, if there's some miracle down the line and like that footage is found on film, it's like you can always go back and do it again for the most part. I mean, unless, mm-hmm. you know, rights, of course, become an issue. But beyond that, if, if you have the, the wherewithal to do it, like you can do it again.
2: Is there a particularly, does one of the films in uh, for video, uh, venner Syndrome have like a strange story of where something was found?
0: Um, not really that I can think of, but I mean, there's definitely stories of just like things that kind of had to rely on different elements. you know, you can kind of see like some of the the discs we have, you'll put it in and there'll be like some kind of a disclaimer that will say like you know certain parts of this film were like sourced from video or sourced mm-hmm. from a different master, so they're you know, please don't judge the quality like <laughs> you know there's like plenty of those kind of instances, but yeah, I can't really think of anything where we like you know found a film in a closet or something but for the most part it's you know we're dealing with film that's from archives and from people mm-hmm. who are storing it well cool
1: um you, you said archives so one of the one of the the partner labels that I've been I've, I think I'm now complete on other than halfway to black friday there's going to be a few more coming out but is the vinegar Syn- syndrome archive line now I know you said that a lot of the partner labels are not tied to Vinegar Syndrome. That one is at least in by name, but is it is it run as a separate company?
0: No. So that's not a partner label. That's just like a different line. So it's okay. like like Vinegar Syndrome Archive and Vinegar Syndrome Ultra are Vinegar Syndrome like run, and those are just <laughs> like lines under Vinegar Syndrome. So they're just like a different line, basically. And then like we have Picaramo, which is our adult films. So yeah. Yeah, those all exist under the vinegar syndrome umbrella, but yeah, they are vinegar syndrome releases.
1: And, and I'm trying to, I've been trying to figure it out. Is the main distinction between like vinegar syndrome archive and the main line, like things that have been, that come from the archive store. Is that kind of the main difference?
0: No, I mean, it was, it was just kind of like a reference to the store. Okay. So it's not, yeah, they aren't like from the store or anything, I mean, we sell them in the store. The whole idea around that line is that it supports like brick and mortar stores. So like we have a store um, for anybody who's listening that's in the New England area, it's in Bridgeport, Connecticut, and you can come and visit and buy movies. Like all of our movies are sold there and records and all kinds of other things. So that was just kind of a call to like, hey, we have a store and it's called The Archive because you know we archive films. And yeah, so Vinegar Syndrome Archive became a line and those, those releases are only sold in physical stores or on our website. So that's the only way to get them. And that was kind of the idea was just to support like stores that are basically doing this thing in person that is you know, pretty lost in, in a lot of places.
1: Beautiful, that's, that's the missing piece for me. That's really cool. Yeah, and y'all put out Action USA, which is probably the film I point anybody to and they wanna know like what movie is just a good time. Um, I, I, I don't know that it's in my top five of all time, but like I, I wouldn't feel bad putting it there. That movie, I just love like every second of it. It's so amazing that it exists. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> so I was I was already kind of a, I already knew about the Vinegar Syndrome Archive line. And like I was kind of I think I probably had three or four. Um, but when y'all put that out, I committed to going back and finding the ones that are out of print and just completing it because <laughs> I wanted to like support anybody that knew about that movie, first of all, but then also uh, would take the time to put it out.
0: That's great
2: um since we're on the uh vsa and uh, vsu this is gonna be more of a compliment and you might have done i love the packaging like i'm a big (laughs) sucker for packaging when it comes to like boutique labels like i still miss miss the uh, window boxes for Arrow, just because i think it's distinct i think it gives it a lot of personality um the designs for those like um do you have like know much about the process of how those were designed and how they came up with those i think they're very neat especially the vsu title and the uh, I guess the VHS-like VSA packaging?
0: Yeah, I mean, well, as far as the art's concerned, we just work with, you know, a number of different artists that we really like working with. Mm-hmm. So those are all kind of approached on a title-by-title basis. And yeah, the the boxes for for um, VSA were definitely, you know, supposed to be reminiscent of, of VHS kind of top-loading sleeves. And then VSU, we just we really wanted like a nice prestige package and something that, you know, stood out. So, Mm -hmm. you know, what it comes down to ultimately is that all of us at Vinegar Syndrome, we're all collectors and we all love this. You know, we're not a company that's putting out things and we're just like, hey, we'll throw 50 bucks on this price tag and (laughs) throw it out. And like, hopefully people will buy it. Like we're coming from a place where it's like, would we want to own this? Would we want this on our shelf? Would we want to show this off? And like in my apartment right now, like I have the Beastmaster box, like proudly on display. in in my own apartment so like these are you know we're coming from a place where like we love these films we love what we do and what we're putting out and like at the end of the day we want to put out a product that we're proud of Mm -hmm. and that we would want to see in people's homes and want to have in our homes and you know I think the VSU package is that you know it's something I love that you can take it and put it on a table and it just stands up like it doesn't you don't need to lean it on anything. Like it just stands straight up. And that magnetic closure, it's just like really satisfying.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I love a good ribbon that you can like lift everything up with. And so, I mean, it just has like all these little pieces that I think came together into a package that, you know, really kind of it just showed what we care about when it comes to like home video design and like the wraparound art and like the art being all inside the case. And it's just, yeah, I think it's, it's a really glorious package. Which, maybe i'm overselling it but yeah No, I, I'm, I, I'm very happy with it
2: i think it helps too because for me i have my funny enough my girlfriend's seen beastmaster i've never seen it uh, i've never watched the movie but i love the packaging so much i was like i'm gonna have to buy it, it be the best <laughs> way to watch it and i just love the way it's set up so i think it's awesome because it makes me spend more money <laughs> oh that looks awesome
1: <gasps> i wish this was a video podcast <laughs> Oh my gosh! That's the six-string samurai sneak peek. Oh man! Oh, this is is the
0: slipcover. That
2: looks so good.
1: Wow! But when are those going to start shipping? Roughly, like like basically as the sale closes, like over there. Yeah, like
0: the next week. So,
1: wow!
2: And then it goes. Make sure I got this right. Goes subscribers, then early the people who bought the early pre-orders, and then standard orders, right? Yep.
1: Oh, wow that looks beautiful. Um, yeah I, I don't um, do, are you sort of comfortable talking about your collection at all? Yeah sure. So I, I always am interested to talk to other collectors so that was kind of the reason that we, we got together uh, and started this podcast was a, around a film club discussion and then the three of us specifically just loved collecting physical discs. Um, so do you like do you ha- keep it all in your house do you uh, do, yeah. do you mind talking about roughly like the size? Like-
0: Oh, okay. oh that's yeah. awesome
2: yeah
0: yeah it's it's in my apartment i mean it's like half of my living room
1: that's great so, like a, yeah. it looks like over a thousand for sure just at the quick scan. like two
0: thousand right now a little bit more because there's some that aren't out that are like in other places so a lot of the vinegar syndrome stuff is actually in my bedroom <laughs> because it's just it's taking over and it was getting to the point where my living room is just like everything <laughs> in my living room is like vinegar syndrome so now a lot of that's in my bedroom but Yeah, I mean, I've been collecting since I was a teenager, as I think a lot of collectors have, you know, that's kind of when I really got into it. And that was, I'd say it probably was more when I was a kid and I started with VHS, but not like, you know, cool (laughs) niche underground VHS, just like tapes you buy at, you know, Blockbuster. So, and, you know, then the collecting for me really began with um, Laserdisc to an extent which was kind of at the tail end. I came in at like the tail end of that, but I remember getting like the big T2 box and like things like, you know, these things, they were like so heavy and it was crazy because people complain about like what boutique Blu-rays cost now. And it's like, we're dropping like 150 bucks on a Laserdisc. (laughs) Like you wanted to buy like the, you know, nice big Laserdisc box and they were like at least $100. And it's just like, yeah, I know, I guess $50 for a a Blu-ray or UHD is expensive. But when you compare it to Laserdisc, it's like nothing. (laughs) So yeah, I think Laserdisc and then DVD, I mean, DVD I think is where a lot of collectors kind of got in, Yeah. it became collectible and you had like special features or more of a thing. And then of course, Blu-ray, but yeah, I mean, I love collecting, I love the packaging, and just having things. I mean, as an archivist, the idea of things not being physical is crazy to me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like,
0: having a library that's just like files, like that doesn't compute. Like I have to be able to see it and touch it. <laughs>
1: It's so satisfying to like take it off the shelf, watch it, put it back on the shelf, um, organize it every few years because you were thinking of a new order.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love organization. I mean, when I, I worked at video stores for a few years and like my favorite thing to do is to kind of just like go through sections and like realphabetize alphabetize things because it would drive me crazy. Like going through like somebody would come up and like I can't find this movie and then it's like, well, it's supposed to be there. And you'd go and you'd find it like totally misfiled. And it's like, well, I need to redo this, this whole <laughs> section and just like realphabetize it. And that's that's also something I carry with me as an archivist too. It's just like taxonomy and things being organized. And I don't know, I might be crazy, but. <laughs>
1: that's, well, you're, you're speaking to other crazy people. So this is all all family here. What, um, wh- what were the labels that kind of got you into, I guess, like more boutique style collecting? Like, you know, for me, it was Criterion, Anchor Bay, kind of like, Early two thousands, like Anchor Bay, Blue Underground started having some beautiful packaging. Um, Fantoma had some really interesting releases. They had like a Coffin Joe that was actually in the shape yeah, of a coffin. I had
0: that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, what were the labels that kind of got you into? I mean,
0: all of the above. You know, Criterion I think is the gateway. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's it, there's so many now, but Criterion was definitely at the start. Like, especially like the late nineties, early two thousands, like when I was. A teenager and like really getting a lot more into like foreign cinema like I think that was like a big deal for me like being able to just buy like all the Kurosawa and Godard movies and you know things that I don't like watch a ton of now (laughs) my tastes have definitely changed or you know it's kind of like a lot of stuff that I like checked off a list and Criterion were like really great for that for like oh they have all these like really great canonical things that I'll probably watch one time but um, they also had a lot of stuff that totally changed like you know who i was like the bunwell films or something that i still like hold really dear to me um yeah they were like a big thing but anchor bay you know especially as somebody who was obsessed with genre and with like horror movies and anchor bay i mean i don't know how many times i've bought like army of darkness (laughs) you know it's like every time they came out with something it's like oh this one's got a number on it it's funny when you go back to those now or like i remember getting that limited edition of manhunter and you go back to like that DVD and you you know, we do all these limited editions now we're like it's limited to 5,000, 10,000 and that seems like a high number and those old Anchor Bay limited editions are hilarious because you look at the back and it's like limited to 90,000 copies and it's just like it's like totally a different landscape like back in the 90s or early Damn. 2000s. But yeah, Anchor Bay was huge, Criterion was huge, Blue Underground, who are still like constantly doing amazing things, uh, their UHDs are just like beautiful. Everything they put out on UHD, I'm just like completely shocked by how good it looks. Yeah, yeah, those companies are all huge for me. One of the big ones who doesn't exist anymore was Tartan. They were, especially that Asia extreme line. That was a really big thing for me when I was a teenager, like the Tetsuo movies were huge. And then Arrow, you know, once they started coming in, like in the UK, I was like importing all that stuff. I remember like having to like use my mom's credit card to like buy the Martin <laughs> when they put out Martin, it was like you know, buying all those things from from overseas. And I had been buying from Diabolic DVD for a while, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of all those companies were a huge thing, and uh, I'm happy that a lot of them are still going.
1: I remember that that brings up some memories early 2000s, they were bringing uh, uh, a lot of Takashi miike films into like uh, I lived in Dallas at the time, and they were showing a lot of his and like. local art houses and tartan was the only one putting him out on on disc Mm -hmm. i had probably 15 or 20 of his movies on, on dvd but
0: yeah that whole line was great that asia extreme line was just it was like them and then like weinstein would put out like you know whatever like i don't remember what the line was but dimension and the weinstein company or miramax or whoever they were doing a lot of like weirder asian stuff too and it was just between like those companies and then i guess wellgo kind of took over a lot of that but, and then
1: there was one yeah. that anime I go, I think, put out the mm-hmm. Lone Wolf and Cub ones. But anyways, not not to go uh off on so that. So I've topic. gotta
2: ask, um, with you guys putting out scanner Cops one and two, how does it feel to get scanners Cops one and two out before Criterion can get uh scanners out on UHD?
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not I don't wanna speak ill of Criterion because I still love what they do, but oh
2: I do too. I just think I mean funny. I just you know
0: it's it's for me, it's it's one of those things where it's like technology changes and the consumers change and you kind of have to move with it and to me not doing UHD right now seems crazy but you know that's coming from somebody who's a collector and also in the industry like I feel like that's where it's going so to not support that seems like you know you're kind of just avoiding change so I don't really understand that but I mean and it's not only Skinner Cop, we got Sex World out on UHD before like <laughs> Seven Samurai or anything. So um, I'm very proud that, you know, Sex World is out on UHD and we've got all these great things. And it's also like I was saying, Blue Underground, you know, it's amazing. Like we have Daughters of Darkness. Whoever thought we'd see like Daughters of Darkness in 4K with HDR? Like it's, it's a crazy time <laughs> to, to be alive as a, a physical media fan. And I think that shows like in and how good this stuff is. Cause you can buy like a lot of these studio UHD discs and there's a lot that are really good. And I just watched the uh, Sony UHD for Last Action Hero last night, which is great. (laughs) But then you can like buy some of these from a studio and you put it in and it's like, this doesn't even look better than the Blu-ray. And I think that leads to a lot of like more general consumers being like, why would I ever buy UHD? But the place where you're finding like those demo discs right now is with the boutiques. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, the the 4K from Synapse of Suspiria. It's like beautiful. Mm. And like those those blue underground ones. And it's just like, that's where I think the, the great work is happening. I mean, Arrow's doing a great job with them too. I'm really excited for Dune. And like, obviously I'm partial to our UHD releases, but I think it's really weird that, you know, even you kind of saw that with Blu-ray, but I think you're really seeing it now with UHD. And I think that's because the collector market has changed so much. And now it's, the people who are really moving UHD, I think, in the in the right direction are boutique labels. So,
2: was the move to UHD kind of like? Did it feel kind of like a no brainer when you guys decided to move to that route to four K UHD? Or,
0: I mean, it was definitely not something we did, you know, without caution mm-hmm. or without thought. I guess you could say um, we definitely thought about it. Like we, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not a cheap format either for the consumer or for the manufacturing. So, it was something we definitely gave thought to and. You know, our first one was Tammy and the T-Rex. And I think it was pretty obvious right away that people wanted it. And yeah, we haven't turned back. It's awesome.
1: Have you ever come across a gentleman named Craig Rogers? He lives out West. Uh, He was, uh, you know, Arbellos films, they have both physical media side, but they also have the restoration side. Mm -hmm. So he broke off and started a new company with Dennis Bartok called Def Crocodile. And just by coincidence, he was the first interview that we had uh, back when we were, just reaching out to folks and do you want to talk to a young podcast? Um, but um, they're doing, what is the, what is the John Carpenter movie? They're doing a saw on precinct 13. There you go. Yeah. So he's working on a 4k restoration of that.
2: That's yeah.
0: great.
1: Yeah. I can't wait to see that one.
2: I think they're getting theater rights for it as well.
1: That's, so it's right. That's, awesome. theaters again. That's right. Yeah. But to your point, you know, it takes people that really care about what they're producing. Right. And have that kind of like the, the thoughtfulness behind it of like what, like, why, why make this generational leap, right? Yep. For, for it to make a difference. Um, kind of one that leads up to a question I'm thinking about. So I actually took a break from collecting, uh, just for a lot of reasons, starting a couple of businesses and, and starting a family and just not as much cash as I had before for a while. And I got back into it around late uh, 19, early 2020. And there was these new companies, because I, I stopped collecting probably in 2009, 2010. And all of a sudden there was companies like Aero Video on Blu-ray, Vinegar Syndrome. Like there was these companies that like weren't even around, at least in a major way, um, as I was kind of like leaving. And it felt to me at least like, again, having seen kind of been a part of that early wave and then taking a break that we're in this sort of crazy time for collectors where like, there's new companies coming out. There's like old movies that haven't ever received uh, a DVD release, maybe even a VHS release sometimes like, Jonathan from Fun City was saying um, uh, Jeremy, that movie that he put out it has never had a disc release uh, and may, maybe only even a limited VHS release. So, it, you know, it's just a super interesting time for collectors from, a, from somebody who's buying perspective. I'm just curious to hear from the other side. Do y'all, are y'all getting those similar signals? Like, do you, is this different, uh, what's happening right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's different in that, I think the audience is becoming a little bit more wide. You know, there's I think one of the things you're starting to see is there's less product, at least physical product um, coming out from studios. So back in like the DVD era, I mean, it was like every studio was putting out their movies and it's like, you know, OK, so RoboCop came out and then like the special edition and then like the limited edition and then like the collector's edition with the new footage. And it's like they'd recycle these movies like five or six times. And now you're not really getting that. So, you know, you kind of had it with Blu-ray, but to a way lesser extent, you know, you maybe got like. Two or three copies of Robocop from MGM, and then like Arrow went and did it. And so I think you started seeing that where a lot of these, even like these bigger titles, these titles that you never thought like studios would kind of let go of, they're like licensing those to smaller companies. And so I think that what you're seeing now with, you know, kind of the boutique companies is they're almost like picking up the slack to an extent where a lot of these, you know, the, this kind of thing that they had, this sales, you know, channel or revenue generator that was once a big part of that business isn't necessarily something that the studios care as much about now. Um, It seems like a lot of that attention kind of moved to streaming. So I think one of the things we kind of see, you know, people look at streaming as like the death of physical media, like the death of cinema. And like, there's a lot of kind of that like drama centered around streaming and VOD. But to me, it's, it's the life of boutique home video, because the more those licenses are cared about more so for like, what can we put this on Netflix for that's then they're just like that mentality around it is kind of like okay well maybe the home video rights can go to these smaller companies because that's not a thing we care about as much anymore so I think that's one of the things you're starting to see is that a lot of these you know a lot of consumers that maybe 10-15 years ago would never have paid attention to a a company like ours or you know to some of the other companies that are similar to ours like you know maybe a Mondo Macabro or like a Severin you know, a lot of these consumers that would never have paid attention like 10 or 15 years ago are now going, I wanna buy movies, I like having physical media. Warner Brothers isn't putting stuff out as much. MGM's not putting stuff out as much, Sony isn't. Who is? And you go on to like, you know, blu-ray.com or the digital bits, you know, any of these sites, DVD talk, and when you look at like what discs are getting reviewed, you're seeing boutique releases get reviewed. So I think that the more that things have been pulled away from like the studio system, the more of that light gets you know, shined on us and what we're doing. And it doesn't hurt that we're all putting out a good product. You know, I think that's the other thing too, is people are seeing the quality. And as soon as you start putting that time and money and passion into something people care about, if you show that you give a shit, people will in turn give a shit. And I think that's the, the big thing now too, is that we're taking these films that, never had a VHS release, never had a DVD release, and some that did. And we're either improving upon what they already had, or we're showing, hey, just because you have, you know, a low budget horror movie, or an erotic film from 40 years ago, doesn't mean it can't look amazing, sound amazing, and have special features that were made with care by people who care. And I think that's, you know, kind of the sea change, is that now people who care are doing this and there's more to work with. So
1: I love that. That nowhere is that more and, and you know, if you have any friends in this in this particular company, I apologize no offense meant here, but I think nowhere is that more obvious than in the Paramount Presents line. Have you seen those releases? Yeah. They're horseshit. Like I'm so pissed at them. They they barely have special features. Basically, they're just taking like these kind of popular films and putting a spine number on them. And it's just like you don't understand the consumer at all. Like like it's not just about having a spine number. Like what's, what are you buying? Like why, why are you buying these movies? You know? Um, anyways. Well, yeah, you know,
2: one thing I've kind of found that's big through with all the people we talked about is building an identity when I feel like that's a big part of it too. Just mm-hmm. having your own identity as a label.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we definitely have that. That's, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, maybe sure. even perhaps more than most, um, we definitely have an identity. We have a brand and, I think it's also, you know, saying that, I think it's also important to push that, you know? And I think it's important for fans to kind of recognize that that's going to get pushed. You know, that vinegar syndrome is gonna release things like red. Like we're not always gonna release only horror movies. And that's also part of the the VSU line. You know, that was kind of one of the, the guiding ideas behind the VSU line is it's not only is it UHD, but these are also films that might not necessarily be what people would consider a vinegar syndrome film. You know, you might not look at Six String Samurai and go, oh, that belongs in the same label as like some of these eighties horror movies or you know, the erotic content. And like, I get that, but I also think like there needs to be room to grow. Hmm. And you know, you can kind of see that in Severin re- recently announced uh, Overboard.
1: I was about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: And like people got mad about that's it. Awesome. And it's like, why are you mad about it? Like it's a movie that's getting a new restoration that's getting a slip cover, that's having care yep. put into it. And like, even with, you know, the genesis of that, that title, it's still like, this is a good thing. Like, this is a good thing for home video. <laughs> it's a good thing to bring in new fans. It's a really good thing to have the people who didn't look at your label before, look at your label. Yeah. Go, okay, maybe I wouldn't have liked these movies, but I'm going to try them because I really like what they're doing. And then they get a couple and then they're hooked and like you don't grow as a company or grow as an industry. If you're not willing to take chances and take risks and diversify and do these things that bring in a new audience, you have to bring in a new audience. So it's great to have an identity, great to have branding, but also you have to be willing to kind of push that.
2: Yeah. I've noticed um, a lot of labels kind of have their own sub label too. You know, I know Arrow's discontinuing Academy, but that was a, part of them uh, scream and shout same yep. thing so I, I i feel like that's just kind of a good way to go because i, I don't know i guess it, nobody want to be stuck as one thing forever
0: exactly well you also you run out of stuff i mean yeah eventually like there's only so many like horror movies made in the 80s <laughs> yeah. or 90s there's only so many like you know porn films to release like there's only so many of like a certain thing so if you're a company you know you see companies coming out or something that are just like all we're going to do is 80s horror movies and it's like that well is going to run dry at some point, you know, or you're going to have to start re-releasing things. And mm. which of course is what we saw a lot of in like the early 2000s and the late nineties yeah. is companies that just kept, you know, putting out new editions of films. And I think people are getting tired of that. They don't want to just keep rebuying everything over and over and over again. And like, maybe they will for, you know, for Blu-ray for UHD, but they don't want to buy four UHDs of a movie again, especially when the prices keep going up. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting to charge $50 for a UHD, they're only going to buy that so many times before they're going to stop. So I think it's important. You have to start, you know, kind of expanding who your audience is.
2: There seems to be a good focus. I've noticed with vinegar syndrome, there's like a lot of little things that it seems like you guys really listen to the consumer a lot. Like um, one thing I love during the sales is I can see how many copies of something are left Yeah, and um, you know, l- little things like that. I, I feel there's a lot of information. Is um, it, it where do you guys read? do you just read just general things online or do you have like a part of the company that focuses on like customer feedback or how does exactly does that work
0: i mean we're all just heavily involved so like Mm -hmm. we're pretty much all on social media i'm on there like all day twitter facebook instagram you know just kind of like seeing what the comments are you know some of us interact with the fans directly often like through our private channels like i do Um, There's a couple others that will like comment, you know, as themselves and answer feedback. We make ourselves very available. And then, you know, there's other ways we get customer emails, you know, we see forums online, there's like different groups on different platforms. And so we, we engage, I mean, we don't, you know, hide behind like our website or anything. We're like out there, we're talking to the fans. And I think it also helps that we're also fans So like, you know, I'll be in the vinegar syndrome group answering questions about vinegar syndrome, but I'm also in the Severin group saying how much I love Severin or I'm in the Mondo Macabro group doing the same thing. So, and you see them doing that too. You know, you see the people who work for Severin and Mondo Macabro and, you know, these other companies, they're all doing the same thing. Like we all kind of love what each other do. So you end up seeing these people and you see those names and it's just like, it clicks and, People will privately message me and ask me questions and I'll always answer them. Like, I don't, you know, as long as people are polite, you know, as, as long as people are nice and they, they want an answer to a question, like I'm more than happy to talk to anyone. And I think that's what you have to do. You know, you have to be approachable and as, as you know uh, nice and forthcoming as you can, when you can. And yeah, I think that only helps.
1: Are are there any particular favorites you have from Vinegar Syndrome? I know it's hard to probably pick children, but uh, whether it's favorite releases or just favorite movies are there that you you particularly love? Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, my go-to recommendations are always the, um, there's a Jama'a Fanaka double feature, Welcome Home, Brother Charles and MMA. I always, that's like my favorite release that we've done. And then A Woman's Torment is a big one for me. Uh, Liquid Sky, which I've always loved, and that was like a huge release when I came out. Um, I'm, I'm very partial to the Sex World UHD because I like that we put out the first 4K <laughs> porno. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, Champagne and Bullets, we just put out this weekend, and I think it's like a total mind melter. Like people are not ready for that movie <laughs> if they haven't seen it. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, Death by Temptations, one I always go to. So there's a bunch. Uh, Sudden Fury is another one that I love a lot. The Killing Kind, Yeah, I could just keep going, but yeah, I think that's, that's enough. The Killing Kind is one that I think I'd, I'd end on because a lot of people haven't seen it.
1: Uh, speaking of Death by Temptation, so I see Flesh Eating Mothers and Death by Temptation. It seems like there's at least two or three trauma movies that y'all have um, put out, or at least with ties to trauma in some capacity. Is there, um, is there any chance that there's gonna be a, a more of a tie there in the future? Is it, do, would y'all ever put out trauma movies?
0: Oh, there's there's a ton there's all there's way more than those yeah so even this you know we just did uh this weekend we did a new slip cover for um nightmare weekend and sugar cookies those are both trauma movies oh great yeah the, 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 there's actually a lot of trauma movies in our library we we work with trauma like all the time so there's yeah there's more
1: that's fantastic um well, I don't really have any other. I mean, this has been an amazing uh, hour here, uh, just I don't have any other questions necessarily. Uh, I mean, I could talk to you all day, but Zach, anything else that's on your mind?
2: Um, no, I I just really appreciate you taking the time, Justin, answering these questions. It's been great.
1: Yeah, it's a great time. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there there? There's i uh, um, I'm trying to think of there. There's you know, typically been in the last two years at least like a big box set release i um, uh, not going to ask for any specifics here with you on air, but like, is there a general sense that these big kind of heavy like box sets with multiple films, like, are, are these worth the effort, just high level? Like, are they worth the effort when you put them together?
0: Oh, you mean like our sets, like the Jallo sets and stuff, or like the ones yeah. coming from yeah. other companies?
1: No, 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 like, the, yeah, the ones y'all are putting out, like the, the beautiful, like, forgotten Jallo, or like, you know, there's just some, like, some, some of these bigger sets you're putting out, like, are, is there, are they worth the effort, just generally speaking? Like, you think this guy can-
0: Yeah, continue? 100%. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's, I think, like, our sets are, I mean, I love our sets, but our sets are also small compared to something like, you know, the Andy Milligan or Al Adamson sets. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like those those sets that are like 15, 20 movies or something. I'm like, I don't even know how you go about, like, <laughs> just, like we don't have the time for that. Like, it's just, I can't even imagine trying to put together some like 20 disc box set right now. But yeah, I mean, our box sets, I think the feedback has been great. People like them, the Forgotten Jallo ones, especially. Those are the ones that I think people are like really excited about. So yeah, there's no, there's no reason for those to stop anytime soon.
1: Cool. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's all I have, yeah. Justin. Yeah, uh, sorry, you guys, Zach?
2: Yeah, I'm good, yep.
1: Thank you so much for coming out. Um, you know, I, within the next couple of years, are you ever open to doing this again as, as new titles keep coming out and y'all continue to expand?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're gonna be, there's gonna be so many more like partner labels eventually. So if you wanna talk more about the partner labels at some point, maybe later in the year, the winter or something, I'm happy to come back.
1: Yeah, I would love that because, you know, one of the things we've been we've gotten really lucky so far. So we've reached out separately to Fun City and Utopia and had separate issues with them. Um, uh, and, you know, as the as the labels grow, we're going to continue to reach out and, and try to have those conversations because I just I love I'm fascinated by this idea of like jumping into this game at this point and yeah. kind of getting into the film distribution game. Uh, and both have spoken extremely highly of the, the ease that Vinegar Syndrome has had and kind of getting them launched. or how easy that makes the launch um so we have you know as as they get to 5 10 15 releases like we're gonna try to get them back and just see how the journey's been a little bit and um if y'all are growing your partner labels that's terrible for my wallet but i'm happy to hear it
0: (laughs) it's uh it's gonna get pretty crazy oh yeah
1: that's exciting uh june and december this year seem sound like they're going to be more devoted towards partner labels Um, is that going to generally be a thing that y'all are going to have some months that are just kind of focused on them? Is that kind of an experiment or do you you think is that kind
0: of set? That's supposed to be the case going forward. So it will always be June and December, basically just following our two big sales. So that way there we can like, there's no more vinegar syndrome titles those months just because it's too much. And we'll just have the partner titles and then just kind of promote those. So in June 4th, there'll be a few partner titles released and yeah. And then we'll do the same thing in December, see how it goes. But yeah, that's the plan is June and December going forward. will be what we're terming a partners only month.
1: Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And uh, uh, yeah. Hope to, to hear from you at least you know, a lot. We could find you online. Is there a particular place you like to point people to find you online?
0: Uh, Twitter is probably the best place. So yeah. it's yeah. Easy to find that wraps up this week's episode of they live by film if you want to read more of our thoughts visit theylivebyfilm.com you can also follow our letterboxd reddit and instagram accounts from the links in the description for now take care